The year is 1998. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Nights. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we're going through the best of Marvel comics from its origins today to today. Its origins today. Too. I mean, it's it's still true, really. Yeah, I, I forget that too a lot. Um, Zach, I am your comic book journeyman and your useless white boy, and today I'm joined by <laughs> Dave, comic book expert and the emperor of useless white boys. Yeah, yeah. The one and yeah. only. A lot of useless white boys. Man, I love Priest writing of Everett Ross. I had forgotten how much I love that. We're talking Marvel Knights, Zach. We're here. We did it. We made it mm-hmm. to the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We spent three years of podcasting to get to this one moment <laughs> of comics that we know we enjoy. Um, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because when I, when I first was like picking up Marvel Unlimited, I... I can't remember exactly the order, but it was either I went for My Marvelous Year, but it was either My Marvelous Year or I went for your, like, modern Marvel reading order, which starts with the Marvel Knights stuff in 1998. And, like, these are the things that I was reading early on. So it was, like, this, and it was that uh, that Deadpool stuff that we read earlier that I didn't really like, but yeah, Inhumans, yeah. Daredevil, Black Panther, um, yeah, etc. Well, and that's a question I've had throughout this is... You know, a lot of people use the Comic Book Herald Marvel Reading Order, and I love that. It's a oh, thing that a I, lot of people listen. More do you, people than you. Do can I imagine. need to pull numbers? I will pull up the <laughs> analytics, Zach. I will pull it up. Let's just say, let's just say, we're talking, we're talking over three digits. We're talking over three digits, baby. We're talking more <laughs> than two zeros in that equation. Um, it, lots of people have used it, and one thing I've always kind of wondered is like I like starting this journey with Marvel Knights. Like, for me, that was a mm-hmm. huge way yeah. to hook. And, like, listen, we'll talk about what this is. Don't worry. Um, but, like, for me, that was a way to hook. I'm like, oh, this is what modern Marvel comics kind of can be, in a lot of ways kind of are. Um, and then that's the conversation we'd have throughout 1998 is, like, what's actually the best road in here? Is it the Heroes Return stuff, which is that very sort of vanilla return to form? You know, it kind of echoes what comics have been. Or is it the stuff with smaller characters where you can get away with it of actually pushing forward, you know, into modernity and and trying some different stuff. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about it. Before we do that, My Marvelous Year, this is the reading club where we go through all of Marvel Comics curated lists. You can find all the issues that we read in the show notes. Okay, you can find them all in the show notes every single episode. You can also go to MyMarvelousYear.com for more um, for the, the older version of the list. You can get the new, updated, full spreadsheet of everything we read. You can do that by backing us over at Patreon.com slash MyMarvelousYear. Again, you did not have to pay to play. If you like the show and you want to support us for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to that. And if you want to support us for more, my, my intro, Zach, was going to be that when you went through the, the Terrigen Mists, you uh-huh, came out, yeah. and, and everyone thought you were an alpha primitive. Everyone thought you had regressed <laughs> to an alpha primitive. But what they didn't realize 
was you had developed the inhuman ability to be the world's greatest Slacks Comics community moderator. So if people, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. So if people want access to the world's greatest Slack Comics community for, um, I think, a $5 a month backing, you can get access to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. and, and then we'll go from there. So, all right. Let's talk Marvel Knights Baby Zack. You've read these before. I've read these before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what did you know, and what do you know about sort of the history of this imprint and kind of how it came to be? Oh uh, well, Marvel Knights. Uh, it's an imprint of Marvel Comics that contains standalone material taking place inside the Marvel Universe Earth Six One Six. This imprint originated in 1998 when Marvel. <laughs> do you literally have the wiki in front titles. of you? No. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I was just reading the Wikipedia, and I'm just finding out that uh, they outsourced the comics to Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti. Pa- Palmiotti? How do you? Anyway, uh, as, it, as Italian of, as you can get it, I think is how you say it. Palmiotti. Uh, you know what? Comic, that reminds me. Um, so before I before our last episode, I talked to yep. comics critic Douglas Wolk, and I didn't want to make a fool of myself, so I actually finally looked up how do you say J M D Mateus. Okay. It's Dematteis, yeah. I think you've been saying Dematteis. I've been saying... Oh, it's D... D it's not Dematteis, is it? I've been saying Dematteis, I think, because I thought I heard that somewhere. He, uh-huh. on an interview with on the Comics Cube, which is a really good YouTube interview comic series. I recommend people check it out. Um, guy does a nice job. Uh, he said... The guy, he introdu- was introduced as like Dematteis, or as Dematteis, and he said, I actually prefer Dematteis. Um, so, <laughs> confirmation <laughs> from <laughs> the man himself... He prefers J.M.D. Mateus. So I've started I thought you were going to say, I had to look up how to say woke, like Douglas Woke. I, like, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure it wasn't walk. <laughs> I've been, every time I see that word get used in pop culture now, I think people are saying he's so walk, you know? And I'm mm-hmm. like, what yeah. does this have to do <laughs> Go with walk, frying? Go walk, get broke? Is Go that, walk, that, get Brock. All the comic skate people keep I saying. I think yeah. Brock, maybe it's Block, one of the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. I just wanted to finally put on the record how we say that name. He doesn't write any of these, so it's not incredibly relevant. Although, I am definitely going to reference Strange Tales in that, that Vertigo-esque series as we talk about this. But okay, the year is 1998. Marvel is still struggling. They are trying to rebound, right? Post-bankruptcy, post the bubble burst on the comics industry post the collapse of hundreds of hundreds of retailers. Um, we think of this as the return year, and it is. But going into the year and making these comics, like, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, times were still tough. To the point that, you know, Marvel kind of renews a little bit what they did with Heroes Reborn in terms of outsourcing some of their characters. Um, and this is, you know, this is a... It's a smart move that they make here, but it's also clearly one of semi-desperation. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't get the comics heads inside the Marvel offices going outside of Marvel very often in their history unless times are tough. So they actually turn to a small little shop called Event Comics that originated in 1994-ish, I think. They did not have a ton of series, but the series that they did have via... Artist Joe Quesada, Jimmy Palmiotti, who inks a lot of work, um, and the two of them combined are kind of storytellers and editors for the line. The, the comics that they did have did really well in this tumultuous, challenging, declining space, you know? Mm-hmm. So they had yeah. a good reputation, plus Quesada had done work. Um, you know, I think we saw some of his art on, like, a Deadpool series 
previously. Um, he he co-created Asriel with Denny O'Neill at DC. Like he's been around the industry a little bit throughout the '90s. He's a very very good artist. And Palmiotti has inked a ton of work, right? So they're they're part of the industry. They have connections. They know a lot of folks, and they also have. I think most importantly for for what Marvel Knights is going to become, they have pretty good connections and tastes and and sort of networking within, I guess, what would be considered the indie comics community, you know? Like, they know folks who are outside of the mainstream in some cases. And in in some cases, they just, they have contacts that are well-known, you know, and we'll talk about that. Um, But so Marvel reaches out to them. They have these meetings with with one of the editors of Marvel, and I don't know how to pronounce the name, so I'm not going to say it. Um, But they bring them in to say, like, all right, if we could, you know, if you could do something in Marvel, what would you do? And they pitched (laughs) co-editors-in-chief... which is hilariously ambitious, but they knew that then once they shot down co-editors-in-chief of the whole company, that then they like asking for four books probably wouldn't sound like that much. <laughs> really, that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. What? And this, I'm yeah, getting this from a, a Marvel Knights oral history that you can find on marvel.com, um, which was a good read. Okay, so they get, uh, basically, you get an imprint, they get four books, they can pick pretty much any lesser-known characters that aren't doing a heck of a lot, and that is what becomes Marvel Knights. Is so it's a shop, it's an imprint within Marvel Comics. It is technically of a piece with continuity, and definitely of a piece of continuity as things progress. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of get to do their own thing. And the characters that they picked are what were the books we're going to be talking about today, with with one exception. So there's four of these, and we're actually so let's talk about the first one that we didn't read officially on the list. One they picked is Punisher. Quesada uh, and Palmiati both really like Punisher. Punisher, yeah. at this point in time, we think of as kind of this 90s sales magnet, right? 90s are a huge time for the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. The, when they started, <clears throat> just pointed out, it's volume five of Punisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, at this point, it's already gone through so many, like, you know, it, it's it's popular enough that it's had four different ongoing series, plus all those weird spinoff ones, right? Like War Journal and mm-hmm. War Zone, I think. Yeah, so it's popular. Right. They definitely flooded the market to the point of killing it, yeah. which I think is a really yeah, good maybe. metaphor both for the Punisher and for what Marvel Comics strategy was throughout the 90s, mm-hmm. which was like, oh, this thing worked? Let's do it a million times until everyone hates it. Um, and But the Punisher, like, the book was just canceled previously. Like, the Punisher had become a literal angel of vengeance, and sales were down, and the Punisher got canceled, okay? Not like, oh, we're putting it on pause and we have a strategy for later. Like, the book legit got canceled. You know, that's where that Punisher's at. And that's why... They get to pick that as one of their their Marvel Knights books. You know, it's not actually on good standing. Um, that one does not fit in with these other three because it is not really considered part of the iconic, classic modern continuity canon. Um, I actually had never read it until I was you know looking up the history of Marvel Knights, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a fourth. It's this Punisher series. It is on Marvel Unlimited now. I didn't realize that. Um, Wait, I thought. I thought Volume Five was uh, like Welcome Back, Frank. Was Ennis and, and Dylan? That's what I thought too. Yeah. No, that comes later. That comes That's a couple 2000. years later. No, I'm looking. I'm looking it up right now. Punisher Volume Five, Issue One, February 2000. Uh, is, if this is the same one we're talking about, is no, no. But there's Ennis there's a volume Dylan. before that in 1998 into uh, Wikipedia has got it wrong. Okay, Wikipedia sure. lists it's, it's the four one issues. Starts... It's a mini series. Yeah. Oh. oh, okay. And yeah, it's pre Welcome Back, Frank. Because that's what I think of uh, Garth okay. Ennis and Steve Dillon coming out yeah, of the title. Yeah, yeah. That's a part of Marvel yeah. Knights. Like, that is where you start Punisher stories. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. that's for the modern reader. Like, And, and having read now this four-issue 98 
um, miniseries, you know, I stand by that. <laughs> like, like, there's no reason. <laughs> yeah. oh, there's no that. reason unless you are just purely curious of the history, which I, in a lot of ways I was, which is why I read this. So this story, it plays with um, Punisher has died and has been brought back by, like, angels and demons to do this Punisher work. He Damon has, like, Hellstrom, yeah. Damon Hellstrom's involved. He's got this, like, yeah. kind of Omega, dark side-ish, you know, symbol. There's a lot of religious stuff going on. It's not great. <laughs> it's definitely nowhere near as Some good. Kind of cool covers here. The, like so you one get of these... Bernie Wrights in art, and Bernie Wrights in co-created yeah. Swamp Thing and rules. And some of the visuals were awesome. Some of the visuals are the uh, very these covers. People should go check out the covers. This is volume four, by the way. Okay. Uh, yeah, pu- the Punisher number two has Punisher shooting a man with angel wings with a giant glowing white gun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then number three has Punisher bursting out of his own grave, and it's pretty cool. Yep. Yep. So it's 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 the lesser known of the Marvel Knights launches, but it, I did want to call it out and say, yeah, that's one happened too. Um, and I think when you when you go back and look at it, you will also see that like it is indicative of what these other three series do and do well, and why Marvel Knights was successful in that it is stylistic and it is visually ahead of the curve compared to where sort of the rest of the mainline Marvel comics stand. You know. Um, these books just look nice, Zach. Like the, these books, yeah. and, yeah, and yeah. nice is an understatement. I think in a lot of cases, like these are the best looking Marvel comics we've. I'll read say Inhumans, in, Inhumans, and Black Marvel. Panther for sure are like Daredevil's very good. Like I like Daredevil quite a bit, but I think Inhumans and Black Panther are like incredible work, like visually. They're they're definitely and, and more. They, um, they stand out more in contrast to yeah. I think the standard. Whereas you know Casada and Palmiati are on Daredevil. And their style is more reminiscent of clean, good superhero work. Yeah, it's like a very good version of what we'll be seeing for the next decade. Versus Inhumans, which is still like, oh, you just you, you rarely get stuff like uniquely this. Uh, Jay yeah. Lee. Yeah, uniquely. And, Jay Lee. and uh, Black Panther. Like I, I was reading about the guy's process. I can't remember his name. Mark Tashera. Yeah, yeah, his process for like how he does this stuff because it's like a, a painting, like he does paintings, um, and it's it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, that all right. I so, where do we want to start? Describe. We want to start with Inhumans. Just go down down the yeah, list. Yeah, let's. Yep. Yeah, okay. Good. So the other the other three series. Obviously, we just talked about them, but the other three books that they pick Inhumans because no one's ever done anything with Inhumans, <laughs> essentially, and yeah. that's an easy one that they can just like have free reign with Daredevil because Daredevil's like they wanted one legacy character who kind of historically had an ongoing and had fandom, um, but that was down on his luck. Right, sales weren't working. There wasn't really a vision for it, so they get Daredevil, and then Black Panther, um, who again, 1998 Black Panther. Black Panther doesn't have ongoings. Black Panther has little miniseries that are occasionally used. Again, we have to reach back to the Don McGregor Jungle Action days for like the last time Black Panther was great, you know. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. of course the Lee and Kirby. So like Black Panther is not a high profile property in 1998, not by a long shot. Um, so they get Black Panther as well, and that's the lineup. You get Inhumans, Daredevil, Black Panther. Punisher that becomes Marvel an interesting Knights. mix like an interesting mix I'd, yeah yeah you get a little bit of uh I mean Punisher and Daredevil uh are a little like similar you know like maybe you could swap one of them out for something else that like brings a different flavor but in humans Black Panther and you know one street level thing all uh all really interesting and then I do want to I just want to mention there's a Marvel Knights series that launches in um June 2000 yeah that is like uh, I think it's 
let me see. It's those characters. Well, not not the Inhumans, but it's Daredevil, Punisher, Black Widow, I think, Shang-Chi, and somebody else. Dagger from uh, Cloak Moon and Dagger. Moon Knight shows up eventually. Yeah. Does he? Yeah. It's not very good. Uh, I've read this in the past, and uh, I didn't like it. Yeah, I don't know if we'll include much. that on well, the list. Chuck, Chuck Dixon. I, I thought it was... I was excited because it's like kind of a fun, you know... It's like the MCU thing. Like, you get all your heroes, and then you get a team with them together, and then, like... They're fighting the troll. That troll from Thor is like <laughs> the main bad guy, and it's like Punisher shooting trolls. Shouts and it, to Ulick. Shouts to Ulick for yeah, being the yeah. main <laughs> villain of Marvel Knights. Yeah, I mean, so there's kind of two things that Marvel Knights is. One of which is way more important <laughs> than the other. The first thing, which is what you're describing, is it kind of becomes the street level line. It kind of becomes yeah. Marvel Street in some ways. Um, that piece of it is less successful. And um, not nearly as important as the second piece of what Marvel Knights is, which is a philosophy of, like, we're going to make incredibly stylistic, creator-driven takes that bring these characters up to modern day, essentially. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, we yeah. are. this is not, you know, the Busiak Avengers, um, all love to Busiak and Perez, and we're going to talk about some of the good stuff there. This is not the oh things used to be good. Let's recapture that. This is yeah yeah. This is this is a course correction audience. from the nineties. This is like let's keep evolving. Let's keep evolving. You know, like, let's actually try to do yeah. some new things. And it's you know the big thing and the thing that I think I, I like so much about it is it respects the reader. It says like readers have grown up. Readers are not who they were. Our audience is generally not seven and eight year olds <laughs> like it was. In the early 60s at the start of this, you know, um, mm-hmm. so it kind of tries to and it's listen, there's a there's a real danger of being like, you know, these are these are mature comics for real. Mm-hmm. Well, men. Th- th- there's a danger <laughs> and a fulfillment here, I think, with Daredevil a little bit. We'll uh-huh. see uh, I, that that's a little of the vibe like from Daredevil is generally. Like, this you know, is adult, it, they do and you're feel an adult, so I'm going to deal with adult things, but it still feels like it was line. They do feel written with like, you a know, little more a um, complex, a little more yeah. nuanced. And the stuff that they're dealing with, as we'll talk about, in Inhumans, you know, big political, global political, societal ramifications. Um, Daredevil is talking about a lot of religious themes, and there's a lot of dark stuff that happens in that book, and we can talk about how effective that is. And then Black Panther is talking about, you know, Wakandan relations in America— um, the role of the CIA, all sorts of things, all sorts of things. Okay, um, complex ideas, right? Things that that are not. I, I, th- I think children. potentially. I, I don't. I don't want to oversell it. I. I, I feel My like we're overselling this. Expanded like, reading these comics, Zach. <laughs> yeah, like I. I don't want to uh, frame, especially Priest or Kevin Smith as like particularly great thinkers here. <laughs> you know, like um, maybe Jenkins has some interesting stuff going on here with his writing. The other two, I don't really want to give that much credit. As much as I, I do like these comics and I do want to praise them, uh, I, I don't want to oversell. Like, this is, you know, Alan Moore level of, like, you know, there's there's stuff beneath the surface here well, for you Well, listen, to on the best and... comics of all time list on Comic Herald, I've had Watchmen uh-huh. number one for a while. Yeah. And what I've always said is, well, I just haven't ranked Marvel Knights yet. <laughs> I just, oh, okay. <laughs> I just haven't. I just haven't put Inhumans on the list yet. Um, all right. Let, really? Let's have you not put Inhumans on the list? I, you know, okay. I actually. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I actually don't think I have, and it's going to do really well. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. It's great. So it's a great let's yeah, start with that like, one. Let's start with that yeah, one because I think we're probably the most jazzed about Inhumans. Both you and I mm-hmm. had really yeah. fond memories of this series. It's written by Paul Jenkins. You got art by Jay Lee. Apparently, it was a miracle that Jay Lee hit twelve deadlines. 
to get 12 issues of the series. Like, like apparently, like people sure, are yeah. literally laughing when uh, um, Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Casado were like, that's who we want, because they were like, you'll never get 12 issues from him. Like, he's just notoriously bad at deadlines. They have this amazing managing editor. Uh, her first name's Nancy, and I can't remember the last name, but apparently she, like, went to his house at one point. <laughs> Like demanded pages, um, and you know people are like states away, right? The internet wasn't what it was, um, so it's a miracle that this book came out. Inhumans looks and reads so effing well. It is, mm-hmm. I so I was nervous to go back to this one, you know, for a lot for the same reason that I will never rewatch X Two X Men United, because um, <laughs> <laughs> I have such fond memories of reading this. Yeah, you don't it, want them dashed, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. one of my first favorite Marvel comics as I got into it, you know, as an adult, and. It really holds up, I think, quite well. I think it's still my favorite Jay Lee art. Um, and he had done, like, at this point, like, he did the Namor series with John Byrne. You know, he's the one who gives us mm-hmm. the savage, hulking Namor in the 90s, which I know we didn't read any of in the club. Um, oh, but I have the Omnibus, don't worry. <laughs> the Omnibus. I actually have the single issues of, like, 30 Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't read it because, you know, it doesn't. it's like Namor is the CEO or something. But uh, Yeah, yeah, it's when he, he has Oracle or Damocles, one of those. Um, anyway, so he's been around. He's done some work before. Um, but this is this is off the charts, cool looking. It looks like mm-hmm. nothing else, absolutely yeah. nothing else Marvel is producing at the time or has produced in recent memory. Um, and then Paul Jenkins comes in. He had done a Hellblazer run at this point. He's going to do a lot of stuff with Marvel in the coming years. He's going to be on Spider-Man. He's going to do, um, oh, geez, now I'm totally blanking, Century. Uh, with with Jay Lee actually, which definitely we'll read that one. Um, but there's just like a wonderful marriage, incredible of Hulk for vision. a while, I think too. Incredible Hulk, like he becomes the Incredible Hulk guy for a long time. Sure, sure, okay. I think yeah. And yeah. the the brilliance I think of Inhumans is it's not just a royal family story. They they take on Inhumans culture. They take on what is going on inside Adelon and what does it mean to be a kid going through Terragenesis. And what is the deal with the slave cast they have in their basement mm-hmm. with the Alpha Primitives, right? It takes on the yeah. whole culture that Kirby sort of outlined but then never got to do because they never did a full Inhuman series. You know, all those ideas go into the fourth world instead. It is – it's so good. So so for today, we only read the first six issues. So, like, we read the first half, basically, of, of these runs because we're going to read more of these in 1999. So I'm, I don't want to talk too much plot and kind of where things end up. Um, but big picture, I was I was so happy rereading Inhumans. Like just how how much I enjoyed rereading it. It it holds up really well. I think the the, the thing that Jenkins does, I think, like that's really impressive. Well, one, it introduces Inhumans to people who don't know who they are, mm-hmm. right? Which is a weird thing to do. Like Inhumans are a really odd group of characters. They're mostly like like they don't they don't track that well onto any specific you know like archetype we already have in our head. Besides like maybe Greek gods or something but they're not gods because they're you know they they stay away and they were created by the create like they're very much a kirby thing like they feel like something that's so distinctly kirby in like his preoccupations yeah but like th- i think they're kind of a hard sell <laughs> to people as you know the mcu show found out i think that show had other problems besides these characters being odd but like um i i, I think that it's just it's a very strange culture to get into so i think he does a great job this was like uh, maybe my first experience with the Inhumans when I had read this back when. And, uh, like, I think it onboards you into their entire culture really well. And then he does that thing with, like, writing gods where he he strikes that balance between the kind of, like, epic and mythological but also 
the personal where yeah. like these you know where the greek gods are like just flawed humans who have way more power than they ever should right like they have more responsibility and more power and more ability to you know really mess things up if they things go awry but they are just flawed people mm-hmm. and that's like what we're seeing here with the exception of black bolt which is the interesting thing is that black bolt really is like that greek like godlike in his um the way that he kind of just hovers above everything silently and you know has a master plan he doesn't reveal and his mind is unknown to everybody but like the comic underlines that that is something you know unique and the rest of the humans are even uncomfortable with that kind of um like omniscience and you know all-knowing thing that he doesn't share with everybody else um so i think jenkins does a great job of that and then jai lee which i think it's jai lee but i'm, I'm not sure you said jay lee i I've, was I've said probably jai lee all my life and yeah uh for this podcast i apparently decided to go with jay <laughs> so yeah. yeah i thought you had been saying that wrong okay well one of us is saying it wrong sorry um his art is such a good pairing for this because he his art has this really interesting it, it's like a mix of the mythic and the grotesque yeah uh, yeah like the way he draws um adelan and the way he draws these inhumans is sometimes so like you know like iconog iconographic no iconographic iconographic iconic iconographic yeah iconic i meant i like it uh you know in like silhouette in the the wings and the all these different um genetic mutations they have but sometimes it's really it's really nasty right like the woman who just has these like barbed tentacles with mouths coming out at the end and you don't get an explanation and it's just kind of these inhumans that are in the background yeah it's it's a really incredible pairing they're both i think like at the top of their game here yeah although i haven't read other paul jenkins so i don't really know but um no yeah. this is yeah it's really this is incredible my favorite stuff. thing from both creators um and I like some of their other stuff. We're going to talk about Sentry. I mean, I like that book. Um, but, like, yeah, this is my favorite thing from both creators. I, a couple things to bounce off what you said. This is the blessed... Ba- the, the blessed. This is blessed and the best Black Bolt story I think I've ever read. Um, I really Ooh, like... Even, even compared to the Solid and Ahmed, yeah, which I have not read. I like the Solid okay. and Ahmed and Christian Ward run a lot. Um, yeah. Listen, it's good stuff. <sighs> I think this is a better Black Bolt story. And mm-hmm. um, the first issue is one of the best, one of my favorite single-issue character studies, I mean, I think I've ever read. Like, it really puts you, in Super Comics, let me be clear, like, it puts you in the position of, like, actually trying to understand. Like, imagine you couldn't make a sound ever, even mm-hmm. when you slept, yeah. right? The whole Black Bolt deal. Like, it just really hammers that home. Jenkins is the writer here of the entire Marvel Knights line who already has grasped less is more sometimes. Less is more. Um, these pages do not need to be crammed with captions and dialogue so heavily. He's already got that for this series, at least. Totally down. It works beautifully. The, the first issue reminds me so much of Astro City Number One, A Dream of Flying with Samaritan, where where Busiak and team puts you in the position of like, here's what it's like to be Superman. You know, that's what the first issue is. Here's what it's like to be Black Bolt. Simultaneously introducing you to and and explaining in humans culture which as you've said is kind has been a hard sell historically you know it is it is a la mutants and that comparison happens a lot but it is more complicated and isolated and like you said there's this process that they go through as kids and kind of teens of teragenesis where they transform and and jai lee sells like it is both a miraculous thing and also sometimes a grotesque terrifying thing 
as your body transforms, you know, and, and like, it's a huge risk. I would be so nervous as an inhuman kid <laughs> to have to go through teragenesis. Cause like, there's a chance you come out and you're like, oh, muscly and can fly dope. But there's also a chance that you're like, oh man, my fingers are just long. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing that's interesting about that. It's not a problem that her fingers are just long. Like that because they're gross. It's a problem that her fingers are just long, that it's not that worthwhile that of it's a not power. Helpful. Because, like, the the girl, there's a girl who's expressing her anxiety about going through this. And, it, you know, he kind of draws, like, a puberty parallel here, as if you had to go through puberty all at once, you know? And it's and, like, and everything's going to change. Yeah. Right, yeah. Everything's going to change for you immediately. And then, you know, you will be the new person. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're going through puberty <laughs> all, all at one time. Um, but the... But her grandmother's like a lizard woman and, you know, and everyone's like fine with that. It's not like a problem to come out as kind of like a what, you know, what I would call a grotesque creature because to them that's totally normal. And, you know, they keep talking about like their strength is in their diversity yeah, and their genetic diversity. So like it's that she just comes out with long fingers and people are like, oh, okay, cool. What are you going to, what are you going to do with those? Not much, huh? I don't think we should see each other anymore. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. Well, and it's harsh. Yeah, like, like, they build it up as, like, we're best friends. Yeah. We're going to be best friends forever. And then there's just and this immediate, like, just I can't so talk to you anymore. Yeah. You're, you're useless yeah. to the culture. Um, I mean, that's that's one thing that I think they sell really well is, like, small, isolated culture of powered, godlike beings where everyone is supposed to have a very deliberate role in in their success and their survival and, and thriving into the future. You know, they are tremendously unique. They are, they're isolated from all of mankind by choice for thousands upon thousands of years. You know, they are not seeking to be a part of the world. And that's part of what this story is about is like, that makes people nervous, you know? And at this point, we should also call out. So at this point in continuity, Adelon is on, it's on earth, first of all, and it's on like the resurfaced foundations of Atlantis. Okay. Which, which might... is like off the coast of Portugal, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's kind of just out in the world and it's creating all these global political military conflicts because it's like, what are they doing? Who owns this? It's making people nervous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, throughout all this, you also have Maximus the Mad, Black Bolt's brother and, you know, all perpetual attempter at, uh, at you know, capturing the throne. He is kind of Hannibal Lecter-esque in a jail cell throughout all this. Karnak has designed it, so it's supposed to be without flaws. But of course, Maximus is the mad schemer. He's got plans for all this. And he's kind of trying to, you know, undo these foundations so he can he can get back to power. Um, it's just, it's so flipping good. The designs of all the characters are amazing. Like, and I think the cool thing, too, is, like, Jaylee, know, or Jaylee knows, like, some of the Kirby you don't need to mess with. Like, you don't need to update Black Bolt. One of the coolest <laughs> yeah. weapon designs yeah, yeah. throughout the entire Kirby Fantastic Four. Medusa doesn't need a heck of a lot. Crystal, what are you going to do? Gorgon gets made fiercer. More more of the centaur-esque, you know, goat hooves is pronounced. Karnak gets all these wild tattoos, which is a design trait that really has, has remained to this day. Um, and then you get so many new Inhumans, you know, in a way that we, we, you know, we typically just see the royal family and, like, some background characters. But this actually leans into, like, no, they'd have other people in their in their kingdom. Here are their roles. Here are their secrets. Um, here are their emotions. And, and experiences in the case of the kids going through Terragenesis. Yeah. I love this book. I, I think it's an actual all-time great Marvel comic. Yeah. I, I I agree 
most it, it, I don't know I guess maybe I'm slightly hesitant putting it like up with the what I consider the all-time greats because I, I put this like this is just like a slightly lesser like Sandman to me because I think I think that's <laughs> well that's high cool. praise though Sandman yeah no it's total it's total high praise right yeah yeah exactly um and I actually think it like strikes it like pushes a lot of the same buttons as Sandman and I think something that Gaiman does over there is like mixing the um like the the mythological and the personal right and like making these feel feel both things at the same time right like they're oh, sorry bump the mic they're both intertwined uh but like two important aspects um of you know because i think like it's really easy to write gods as these like lofty unknowable things and then you just aren't interested right like i think we've seen that with um the eternals right like sometimes when kirby writes the eternals it's tough to get like too interested sure and the might asgard has this problem at times too i think yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't actually want to slam like Kirby specifically because I haven't read enough. But like, just that that idea of you know like these ultimate powered beings that are so far above us that you're kind of like a little checked out because uh, they're they're not relatable. And uh, I think he just finds that right balance. So yeah, great book. Uh, I am glad we actually split it up across two, um, two things because it really like it does take it takes time to read. Right, they're not like breezy. Like they read well and they're not um, like a slog to read through. But um, you know, I I think I think this will be better over at least two settings instead of trying to sit down and read the entire twelve issues. Um, sure. In one go. Sure. So yeah, I was glad we we split it up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one of the few comics that I feel like is really worth the time of like I'm gonna read. It, <laughs> one of the few comics that's worth actually reading everything. Um, I mean, truly though, like, like I'm you know for this for this club, I've for a lot of the stuff I picked, I've read before. Um, mm-hmm. so when I'm catching up for the podcast, you know, for example, with Daredevil, like I didn't, I did not read every word at Daredevil. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. in humans, I sat down with my print copy and mm-hmm. I read all six issues in one sitting and I read it closely. I had a good time. Yeah. It's, it's satisfying, right? Like he, yeah. you know, he, he rewards your, your attention because he's not just like filling the page with like, it's a dark city and a dark city is like a woman. You can woo her or you can. Uh, not find her in the dark because it's raining. Dang. When it rains, is this your, is this your new Noor project that's coming out soon? Yeah. <laughs> Zach does I Frank mean, that, Miller? That's the kind of stuff that like fluffs up these comics so often and it just like... God, we just read an Ultimate comic, uh, Charlotte and I, that like it was um, Danny Ketch narrating in the background about like how his parents lived through the troubles and it had absolutely nothing to do with the comic and I could not <laughs> find the thematic link and it was just like... Me ma and dad thought they could stay out of the uh, the way of harm if they just, you know, pretended it wasn't happening around them until yeah. a bomb rolled up at their feet. And like, and it's just like, is what? Is he Irish? I have no, and the then Ultimate meanwhile... Universe? Huh? Is he Irish in the Ultimate Universe? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he was talking about his parents living through the troubles, so I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. No, I just, I didn't know yeah. that. Like, uh, well, it's, I, it's I, me I, boy or Danny Kitch. He had yeah, to tell you yeah, about the exactly. troubles. It's got nothing to do with Ghost Rider, but I gotta tell you what happened to me ma and dad. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's very uh, like X Men Moira. Uh, oh, Charles! Irish. You're the only friend yeah. I ever had. <laughs> that's what I was cueing because people love it when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I did that for you, listeners. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so we're we're both in agreement. This is great. Like, I think an excellent comic that it holds up like to our memories, which you know, I think both of us were uh, slightly worried about. It is wonderful when that happens. It is wonderful when yep. that happens because yep. it is it is a challenge. Um, so I did not anticipate that that would be the case with either daredevil or black panther um let's start with daredevil 
Um, yeah. I, I just knew there'd be certain elements that I'd, I'd be a little more out on now than I was at the time. So Daredevil is is really interesting. Um, again, the series is relaunching with a new number one. You got Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti, the head. And it, I don't know if we said this officially, but like, so they're editing everything. Like they're editing and mm-hmm. overseeing yep. and in some cases have storytelling credits. Um, Palmiotti's inking a lot of the work. Quesada only does interiors for Daredevil. Like that's the book that they're obviously the most committed to in terms of like, yeah, there's a big legacy character. <laughs> you know, like we got Frank Miller runs on Daredevil. Um, we got to we got to go all out for this one to do this. They make a call to Kevin Smith, uh, the filmmaker. Zach, what is your familiarity with the film catalog of Kevin Smith? Because I will tell you, mine is virtually nil. Oh, really? Uh, I, I like Kevin Smith movies. They're uh, Clerks, Clerks. Let's see. I've seen Clerks, Clerks 2, Dogma, Chasing Amy, Jane Silent Bob. Uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. Oh, so you've seen, you've seen all of them. Um, I've seen, yeah. I've no, seen he has Dogma a lot. He's got and a lot Zach of and Miri, actually, weirdly <laughs> okay. enough. Um, yeah. So I, I, Wait, so you haven't seen Clerks? I've never seen Chasing Clerks. Amy? Would Those you recommend are... I watch Clerks? Oh, yeah, the first one? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's... <sighs> you, you, you just got to know, like, what you're getting into, and that's, you know, like, Kevin Smith's very, like, scrappy, homemade, like, Jersey scumbum thing. Yeah. But it's funny, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I definitely. I, I haven't. I've it listened in a long to time, more but... episodes of Fat Man on yeah. Batman, his Batman podcast, than I have I engaged have, with I his movies <laughs> at this point in time. I mean, like he's he made Clerks in 1994, and I don't think he's ever topped it. <laughs> but like Clerks Three is coming out like this week, and I'm kind of excited for it. Oh, seriously? Uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, it's, okay. Uh, maybe that's uh, maybe that's the perfect time to read. Maybe not him. this week. Uh, another couple weeks. Yeah, but. I've seen the Stan Lee cameo. In Mallrats, I've yep. seen that scene. Mm. I haven't um, seen Mallrats. Anyway, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen quite a few. Okay, so you, so you know the Kevin Smith experience. Um, mm-hmm. So he's he has not written comics to this point. Like he's not. And, and I kind of wondered how he got this job. Like, do you know? Because yeah, so this I know he's actually, just a fan. Like, right, right. No, he's a huge comics fan. Like that's that is legit and well documented. Um, but actually, I yes, yeah, so in the oral history, he had met Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti years prior i think it might have been on the filming of mall rats um i forget the exact connection but it was like maybe they had done a little bit of work together um and basically they became friendly so like they just they kind of just had a connect um to the point that when the gig came you know joe or jimmy or whoever was able to just like call kevin smith (laughs) like Mm -hmm. they had they had his number and they were like we know you're a fan do you want to do daredevil and he was super jazzed too the way he talks about it is like oh following the legacy of frank miller and it's like Kevin, there have been a lot of runs since. <laughs> like that's dismissive, but I do think that's the way a lot of people think about it, and the way a lot of fans think about it. Um, yeah. And there's, there's again, this oral history on Marvel Unlimited. If I remember to include a link, I will, or maybe we'll put it in the Slack because like there's a lot of good stories about him like wanting to back out at certain points and just being like, I don't think I can do it because he's also in the middle of filming whatever he would have been filming at that point in time. Um, maybe he's chasing Amy and like you know. But anyway, they they talk him into it, and here we go, and here we go. This this arc is called Guardian Devil. It's eight issues. It relaunches the series. Then Smith is out, and we're going to get in, into to new creative teams on Daredevil, and obviously we'll talk about those as they come. This is a very significant arc. It is. It has a lot of continuity ramifications. Um, it is memorable, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, is definitely. a bit of a pain to go back and read because, and, and this is admitted to in the oral history, Kevin Smith does not know how to write dialogue for a comic in a way that doesn't cover up every piece of the page. Um, yeah. And he, he admits yeah. to this. Like, like they, Joe Quesada apparently was like, 
you got to give me room. Like, you got to give me room with the lettering here. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and he was like, no, every word stays, every word stays. And then I guess when he saw the first issue, he was he realized. <laughs> he realized what he had done. It is verbose. It is verbose in, in ways that are not always enjoyable. Um, well, he, it's too here's, much. Here's where I land on that. It's like, for sure, it's way too much. But it's not bad. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, sure. It, what, what he's actually writing, like, he knows how to write a sentence. He knows how to write dialogue. He knows how to write narration. So when I'm reading it, I'm like... It's all kind of interesting. Like I'm, I, I, it's not essential, and it could definitely be trimmed down one just for the reading experience and the look on the page, and two because it's not like all necessary. Like you can get some of this across with a little more efficient story writing, but it is not the most. Like I've read walls of page, like like the Starenko wall of texts that are much more painful, and I get to the end and I'm just like, well, that was saying a lot of nothing, and it was not fun to read either. He knows how to make it flow. Okay, so like I, I am. I'm slightly torn on just, like, dismissing this as, like, oh, this is terrible, like, all this text. It's too much, but, like, I think I think he's a good writer of, like, prose. I think least. that's really he good just point. Doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to write a comic book, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Um, I think it's really it, good it's one of those things that's, like, shocking when you see that someone who comes from not comics can do it well. Like, N.K. Jeminson, when she comes on to um, Far Sector, right. that Green Lantern right. maxi series, which is excellent, I'm like, how does she know how to write a comic book, right? Like... This works so well as a comic, like the way that it's paced out and the way that the panels flow and the page turns, you know, all that stuff. So, like, it is a skill to move from writing something else to writing comics. And I, I do um, think this is an era. First off, it's an era of more dialogue to begin with, right? There's a, you yeah. know, and Kevin Smith, I think he writes this. So he kind of does two series in in sequence here. He does this Daredevil, Guardian Devil, and then he also goes over and does Green Arrow Quiver for DC, which is another, like, really important series relaunch on a character and on that one too I, th- I think in the intro he writes about like i want to give people bang for their buck like i want to give you a lot to chew on if yeah you're thinking right, about that, it that's a very classic phrase of oh it is uh, it is but it, you know if you're yeah. thinking about it on buying on a monthly basis in a print comic like that is kind of and, and you were you know you had a limited amount of cash obviously like that's not a bad impulse necessarily um and I no think it you, is it's it's a bad, <laughs> it's, a bad <laughs> it's a bad impulse it's the same thing that's like we're making a sixty hour or sixty dollar video game. It's got to be two hundred hours long to you know to give people like worth make it worth their time. Sure, right? it's sure, like, sure. Well, no, then you're just not respecting people's time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like you want to deliver an experience that feels fulfilling, but like just length is like one of the worst metrics to uh, to measure that by. Yeah. So it's, I I don't think this is the guiltiest thing you'll find of this sin no. throughout this era. Um, but it is it is heavy and especially on a reread, it's too heavy. But I think the thing that that carries through is one Quesada and Palmiati like they're this is the cleanest nicest looking comic <laughs> in the entire line right now you know um obviously we got George Perez doing Avengers and that's amazing stuff but like this book just looks it just looks immediately like oh like this is what 2000 comics are gonna look like um sure obviously yeah. a big part of that is like yeah Joe Quesada became the editor-in-chief <laughs> within like two years you know so yes his tastes and his styles were going to start to be reflected um, but it just it just instantly feels like oh this is what superhero comics are going to look like, um, and I, I think in a lot of good ways honestly, uh, it's it's a nice looking book. It is also again like it's a heck of a hook for a story. So it's it's a lot of fast moving parts, but essentially the hook for Guardian Devil is Matt Murdock is given a baby by a woman who claims to have had an immaculate conception. She claims she's a virgin, gives him this baby. And then Matt is told, so this baby's either, you know, 
a religious miracle, and obviously Matt, very religious Catholic guy, uh, and then he's also told by a weird old man who comes into his office unprompted that this baby's actually the Antichrist. So it's Matt weighing, I have a baby to protect, um, maybe born uh, uh, immaculately, also maybe the Antichrist, <laughs> and then it's mm-hmm. him figuring yep. out, of course, everything else that's going on in the world of Daredevil. With and you that know which chat. one he wants to believe. Like <laughs> he makes up his mind real quick, given these two pieces of information. <laughs> so, I.e., so there, hucks the baby off a roof. <laughs> he, Matt throws a baby off a roof. Like I think we need yeah. to talk about the the, yeah. the 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 roof in the room, which Matt threw a baby off. Because no, I love I love that he commits to that. You know, I, I think that uh, <laughs> you love that for him. Idea. <laughs> no, really though. I, I I think like it's I mean it's a bold choice. Kevin Smith else. makes bold choices. He does. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And big we'll talk swings. we can Yeah, he has a couple big swings here. Uh, this is one of them, right? Matt's kind of and, and this is part of a long legacy of Matt losing his grip on reality. Right? Like we we've, we've had this before where Matt like with uh Miller. Like Miller's done this, Nascenti has done this where like um you know, and, and it is often like um instigated by like villains like kingpin making him think he's going nuts yep. and like losing his mind um and you know you get the feeling something very similar is happening here in the issues we read but uh like he's he's kind of susceptible to having his worldview shaken well even by the fourth like, issue he goes to dr strange and dr strange is like you have a hallucinogenic drug in your system mm-hmm. like right. there, there's yeah, an explanation yeah. is given as things progress but if you, <laughs> if you only read the first Wait, was two, that in the fourth was that in this issue? I didn't. I don't remember. Is that. it the fifth? I might have gone a little too far. It might have been the fifth because I. I don't think I read that. I might have gone slightly too far. Apologies okay. if so. Um, well, you just couldn't stop. It was so good. But there, like an explanation is given as the series progresses for this behavior. But again, like if you only read the first two issues, you're like Matt got told a baby was a weird, was an antichrist by a weird old guy who showed up, a stranger, and he threw that baby off a roof. And if not for the Black Widow's presence, Matt would have killed a baby. And oh yeah, holy moly, that is an awful look for our heroes. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. A lot of Marvel characters get drugged. Like, like Spider-Man gets drugged and sees things, like, once a month, right? I have not seen a sequence of him hucking a newborn. Well, their, their favorite thing to do is, uh, like, have them hit their wives. <laughs> Honestly, that's the, like, the hero's low point. So at least Kevin Smith didn't go in that direction. Yeah, I suppose for not. Them to, I suppose, I mean, to, to not, lash out not that quite. Um, that's always the, like, oh, and then, you know then we have to kind of backpedal from that because they were under the influence of something, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, so let's, outline, let's outline the bold choices here. Yeah. Okay, let's outline the bold choices. Um, why don't you start? Because I, now I can't remember where we actually uh, I mean, it, the, the, big, the big one that stands out that made me just go, like, sigh. <laughs> like, I literally, like, I read it, turned the page, and just sighed out loud is Karen Page just showing up and saying, Matt, I have AIDS, or I'm HIV positive. Uh-huh. Um, from, you know, her time as <clears throat> working in, like, porn videos and being, you know, using a lot of drugs, right? Like, needles and unprotected, unsafe sex. Yeah. That's the, the thing here. It's 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 the kind of classic, like, just punishing the girlfriend thing. And it's also kind of like, Miller already kind of did all this. And it was borderline, like, okay, well, are we... Is this is this bad? <laughs> right? Like the way we're talking about Karen, the way you're using Karen, like this is already, you know, like walking up to that edge of like you're just using the the girlfriend as this like punching bag of for to cr- create misery for Matt. Um and then I think Miller like found some grace in that by the end. This just feels kind of like punishment without any kind of thought 
or uh, and the big problem with this whole run for me is I just don't think like Kevin Smith is a little too like, he's not a particularly mature comic book writer, right? I don't know. He's a particularly mature writer of anything. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, his, right, exactly. His and I mean, I don't think he tries to be right. So like he's trying to do these serious things, and and it's not necessarily that I want <clears throat> that I need this to be really seriously serious and sedate. Um. There's just there's just a lack of like I I don't know um it it just doesn't it doesn't feel like the medium for it in the especially the type of story he's telling like mixed with the Casada art which is like pretty cartoony and stuff mm-hmm. like it just like even Matt throwing the baby off the the ledge like I wish it was nastier right like in in on the page it's a pretty nasty thing to do but the way it's written like it's pretty immediately kind of like it's fast Black Widow and quickly saves the resolved baby. Um, right exactly. in a way that it's right. like that is in that is one of the worst things this character has ever done. <laughs> and we kind of blow by it. Um, yeah, I think the one, the one like kind of bounce back I would have on the Karen Page deal. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. I think, listen, if you're reading Guardian Devil and the biggest critique very fairly is going to be, okay, what is Karen Page's treatment here and what is the role of this character? And I think it's, yeah, it is punishing the girlfriend and to to get it mad i mean that's there i think the one bounce back i'd have on that is kevin smith does make an effort i don't know how successfully but he does make an effort to like kind of frame this through karen's lens we open with a really long letter from karen to matt um you know he's kind of got these these love letters and her perspective throughout like she doesn't literally just show up say i have aids and not get moments um I, it's listen. It's not a good story for Karen Page. I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, this is it's intentional. Like he's doing a follow up riff on Born Again. Um, and again, like this is for Smith. It's like if I'm going to do a Daredevil story, I'm going to r- try to run in the shadow of Frank Miller. I'm not going to get there, but I'm going to try. And uh, and to do that, he's like, well, I can take Karen Page from the Born Again stuff and kind of play off of that. Yeah, because Miller Miller, I think, like you know, for for his faults, I think is like a serious guy <laughs> when he wants to write a comic he can write a serious comic and he thinks about it you know like sure. especially the stuff in the 80s like i think he puts thought into it and i think he has reasons behind what he does and you might be a little repulsed by those reasons but like i, th- I think he is like he's an intelligent guy right and i think like this is not he, he's not doing stuff necessarily for shock value or if he is he's doing it really intentionally with you know as as a tool in his kit right like uh-huh. um and i'm actually gonna bring up electro assassin later uh for <laughs> for the similar purpose sure um talking about black black panther but um yeah I, I just i don't think it stacks up because you just read it and you're just kind of like okay well this is like like you just don't really have the chops to be like discussing something like this and for it to not feel a little slight and a little you know yeah yeah just not not grounded enough in um in, in more serious storytelling choices, I yeah. guess, you know, wh- whether or not that be, I, I, I don't like, again, I don't want to say like, this just has to be like a really serious story that takes the, you know, I, I don't want it to be a, um, like a, a very special issue, <laughs> right? Like that kind of thing. I think like, if it was trying is... to do that, it would, we would be harsher in the critiques. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Cause, Cause then it would be boring as well as, <laughs> and it's not well like this comic kind of... is not boring. Like guardian devil, no, no, I, despite, you know, we talked about, you know, it's yeah. very verbose, but like it moves fast. It is doing huge things. I mean, yes, like everything it's, it's a story about everything in Matt Murdoch's world gets weird and bad 
and Matt has to respond to it. It is the classic Daredevil story, right? That is so many Daredevil stories. At one point, he's thinking, like, this must be a kingpin scheme. It's too weird. But then he's kind of like, oh, this isn't the kingpin's MO. And obviously, on the back half of this, we'll find out who it actually is, you know? Um, and kind of throughout these issues, you're figuring out, like, okay, is this religious cult for real? Like, what, you know, he, like I said, like, he is going to go to Doctor Strange at one point and kind of try to get a feel for that. It's a story about Matt Murdock. Like, the supporting players are just pawns, you know? For, for Smith, for sure. Um, it's memorable. It's fast-moving. It does a lot of big stuff. I don't think it's an excellent comic by any measure, but it is one that is kind of... Like, if you're a Daredevil fan, like, you're going to want to have read this. Like, you're going to want to have knowledge of it, I suspect. Um, and no, it doesn't hold a candle to, to Miller or Nascenti, but not a lot of stuff does. You know, and the other thing it does, too, is, like, again, you know, the one thing that, you know, we talked about these characters not having a lot of attention on them and all that... Like, when was the last time we read Daredevil in the 90s? You know? It was 1993, Man Without Fear, right? So it's like, it does also have a moment of being like, okay, we're resetting. We're doing some big stuff. And it feels like, okay, Daredevil's like a comic we need to start paying attention to again. And that's the goal. Yep. Well, and that main story is really engaging, right? Like, the the main, like, plot here, which is somewhat rare, right? Like, oftentimes we're really into the characters, but the, uh, the background, you know, like, mystery and the villain and the you know the fighting and stuff is the stuff that we're <laughs> somewhat checked out on because uh, it's hard to make it not feel samey although i will say there's not a ton of fighting here and often it's just it feels almost like the obligatory like ah oh, well we got to have him stop a mugger here but he almost uses it in um like I, I wonder how intentional it is that he's being particularly nasty um i like the first time some uh you know mugger he just snaps the guy's arm and right. walks away right and I, that that's where I was just like, oh, is this just that kind of, like, extra brutal comic book writing where we're just like, yeah, it's fine to, like, brutalize criminals, right? And, like, we're going to get a kick from watching them get brutalized. And then the next issue, he, I can't remember, dislocates the guy's knee or something. And then the guy back talks him again. <laughs> and he goes back for more and starts, like, punching his teeth out yeah. until, uh, like, a crowd starts to form. And, like, again, we're back into the, like, Matt's out of control, Matt. The, the violence that he uh, inflicts upon criminals is, you know, too far and he enjoys it too much. And, yeah. you know, which is interesting. Uh, I don't think Smith totally nails it like like Nascenti has uh, or even Miller. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, like, I enjoy this comic and there's moments in this, especially the back half of this that we're going to talk about next time that, like, have stuck with me since I read them seven, eight years ago. Yep. Like, I remember specific moments of this comic. Yeah. It's a pretty creative and again, I keep using this word, but memorable vision. And, yeah. you know, I think if it wasn't like that is like the plotting is successful, I guess. I'll yeah, say. totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even if the execution leaves room. for It just doesn't it doesn't land as much more than that. I don't walk away being like it's also an excellent meditation on like religion, <laughs> right? Religion or, you know, the absence of God or, you know, what it means when God punishes good people. Right. Like. Right. You know, walk away being like, oh, yeah, it had some good thoughts about that. And it made me <laughs> consider this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's the critique, even though it kind of seems like he's trying to go there. Yep. Yep. Agree. All right. Let's uh, talk. Yeah. Let's talk Black Panther. Yes, third of the series. So I, if I'm ranking these, I'm going Inhumans, Black Panther, Daredevil. Yep. You with me on mm-hmm. that? Okay. Yep. We read five okay. issues of Black Panther. This is by Christopher Priest and Mark Teixeira, writer and artist. So this run is is iconic. Um, the run, the Black Panther run goes from 1998 to 2003. Iconographic, you mean? Iconographic. Um, <laughs> it is hugely influential. 
I mean, that like so much of what we now know about the Black Panther of the MCU comes from the priest Tashera run. Um, the Dora Milaje, the Hetu Zaraze, uh, a lot of Wakandan culture, certain characters, Everett Ross, for example. This, this stuff all originates right here. Still, I still got to like, at least at this point, just five issues in, it still feels like that McGregor, um, Graham, Graham? Is it McGregor or Billy Graham? Uh, Billy Graham's on a lot of that, yeah. Uh, run, like, influences, at least what I know is like the MCU Black Panther more. I th- um, well, I think you're right. I think it also influences Priest more because so there's in that oral history. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Tons Priest, of this uh, is straight out of uh, somebody asked him if he was like weeping at the Black Panther, like he was like, were you were emotional about it at the Black Panther premiere rather? And he said well, yes, but only because I was sitting next to Don McGregor and he was weeping. And he said eighty five percent of you know the MCU comes from Don McGregor's run or something. Like he gives oh, I mean, he gives so, tremendous so credit that, yeah. to McGregor. Um, yeah. so, so clearly that is on his mind. And again, remember, like, so Priest... Well, it, sorry, that's a really funny question to ask somebody. Hey, after a movie, did you weep? It's, Were you it's weeping? A, it's a jokey kind of back and forth with Casada. In, in in context, it makes more sense than, like, a journalist. Okay, all right. <laughs> Being like, did you cry? And, and not, like, because it was a sad movie. So just, like, kind of, like, me- for metatextual reasons or yeah. extra textual reasons, did you weep? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to start asking yeah. that when I interview creators. Like, when was the last time you cried? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Um, so, uh, but yeah. So, like in priest background, for those who don't remember, like, so in the '80s, he's an editor at Marvel. At the time, he's still going by his, I think, given name, which is Jim Owlsley, James Owlsley. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, he writes right. that um, pretty, pretty odd but memorable uh, Spider-Man Wolverine graphic novel where Spider-Man kills a guy. <laughs> or maybe, oh yeah. You know, <laughs> forgot about um, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, in some foreign country, right? Are they in Europe? Or something? Yeah, yeah. They're on the case of the. <clears throat> hobgoblin and wolverines around and yeah so it's it's memorable yeah um he's he's semi-involved in the formation of milestone although he doesn't actually write any of the comics um at that time i don't think uh and then you know obviously like he's got a presence and apparently he was an editor either at dc or marvel i can't remember probably dc um who like gave casada his first art gig so like they have a connection like they go way back so that's how that connection is established and he's brought in to do the black panther relaunch this is the book i think of when i think of the style of this era and kind mm-hmm. of the potential of like let a creator's vision dominate how the story is going to be presented because black panther is told through an everett ross narration that is jumbled and scattered and comical and at times very goofy and it is a very at times it can be off-putting i think maybe the first time reading it you know it can be that experience of like what is happening why is this matter like we're just cutting scenes left and right there's these weird little um like scene shift caption boxes, you know, that are puns that come, that kind of get explained later but don't make sense when you read them the first time. But reading it now, I really appreciate the herky-jerky, back-and-forth nature of which, you know, and again, which is meant to represent Everett Ross, whitest boy in America's, you know, scattered telling of the story. Um, I don't know that it always is, like, perfect. I think there are times when it's, like, some clarity actually would have been preferable. Uh, but I like that the style reigns supreme. I like the freedom that is given. And this is a style of comic that now, if you've read any of Priest stuff since then, you know, Deathstroke, for example, on DC, like, this is how he writes comics um, in a lot of ways. So I don't know. How, how did you feel about kind of the approach to so just I, how I've, the comic is presented? I'd read a fair amount of this in the past. I think I'd read 15, 20 issues <clears throat> um, back when. And I didn't really like it. 
that much. Like, there's some interesting stuff about it, but I didn't love it. And a lot had to do with Ross, and a lot had to do with just the general, like, overall tone of it. I remember kind of liking the Black Panther stuff, but Ross is the POV character. Really kind of disliking that. Um, I've turned around on it. I think it's a pretty good comic. I think there's a lot to love about it, and I think it's held back by a couple things. Ross... So Ross is the POV character, and Priest in interviews has talked about how he thought it would be (laughs) the only way to sell a comic about, you know, black superhero to a predominantly white audience. I think that kind of sucks. Was to have a white Um, narrator as kind of our our intro? POV, right? Like, you need, and and not just a white guy, but like a bumbling, kind of racist, conservative white guy, right? Um, Like, like casually, like he, like he, they talk about like going to Brooklyn and he's like, it's the ghetto. Like that sort of like. Gangbanger, uh, you know. When Black Panther comes to town, he wants to, you know, sit around at the Avengers Mansion, order a big big old plate of ribs, you know, like this just kind of like, uh, he's the kind of guy who would be like, oh, we don't call them white people. They're melanin challenged, right? Like he would say that as a joke. Yeah, yeah. That that tone is all over this. And the more you read about Priest, you can see that that's him. <laughs> um, he's, he's conservative and he's got this kind of like... <sighs> He's got this defensiveness about saying stuff where he's more concerned about, less concerned about what he's saying and more concerned about his right to say it <laughs> kind of thing. Like, you know, he's very concerned that you're not allowed to say anything anymore. And you see this here. There's a bunch of this, like, you know, uh, his boss says it's a big diplomatic um, snafu with the Black Panther. And Ross is like, oh, because he's black. And she's like, Ross. And he's like, what, you can't say that anymore? Right, that kind of thing. That's actually Priest. <laughs> like, you read interviews with him. I read a Chris Arant interview with him in Newsarama a few years ago. Yeah. And he was mostly concerned with, like, not actually addressing any of the things he was saying, but just saying, like, that everything can be misconstrued. So he has grown very naturally into the uh, the cancel culture uh, boogeyman of modern day. Like, that, the cancel culture becoming a boogeyman has become a very, like, natural fit for him. And you can see that here. So that kind of stuff, like, frustrates me. Like, there's just, there's little things here and there where, like, yeah, that that stuff I was saying, like, Ross's little racist asides are not particularly funny. Um, The Dora Milaje he talks about as being, like, two, like, sexy, six-foot-tall Amazon women who also happen to be not barely, not exactly legal, right? Or not quite legal. And I'm like, well, why is that here? Like, well, at the same time, it's, that's a, it's a weirdly conservative thing, and Sorry, this is painting with a very broad brush, so I I am generalizing here. But that, like, being very, like, sexualizing, like, teen girls, because they're drawn as if they're, like, 25, you know, 30. Right. Um, But he talks about how they're 16, 17. But also talking about how uh, pedophiles should be brutalized in prison and, you know, extrajudicially punished. Uh, There's, like, a pedophile in the comic later. And, like, the comic relishes the idea that they will be, you know, brutalized in prison. So, like... And I'm like, but yeah, you're you're making me ogle like a 16-year-old right now. Like, I guess she's not 12, which is the other thing that's your target of your ire. But, like, that kind of stuff is very frustrating. So th- there's this kind of layer of, like, the this defensive, smirking, um, like, conservative veneer. And, and I don't want it to come across like I am like, oh, well, it's a conservative comic and that's why I hate it. Like, I like work by conservative creators. Like, um, I don't I don't know that it reads nearly as conservatively as you're painting it. Really, you don't think so? I, I maybe, no, maybe I think a lot of no, that is I, is modern, uh, 
priest stuff that maybe you've brought no back no because i i didn't know this till after i read the comic like this was this was not stuff i knew walking in this is stuff i looked up later to confirm my suspicions because i um, i think the thing the thing for me with priest is like he's a black editor at marvel in the 80s and he's yeah. like the only one and he's written on his he's a really good post on his website i think it's called this is the last time i talk about racism or something like that um, but he tells all these stories about himself and Larry Hama kind of being the only people of color at Marvel and just like the casual but also broad and, and sometimes targeted racism that they experienced. You know, he's lived it, right? So I think you're right when you say Ross is kind of it, – it's – there's a danger with the character of Ross where the comedy and the whiteness and the lack of understanding and the ignorance of Ross is kind of a shield for getting to say some of this uncomfortable stuff totally but it's, that, that, but it is it feels a yeah, bit, yeah um but it is also coming from someone who has experienced the darker side of of people you know being like this and experiencing them and now getting to write that so i don't it's not from it's not the same situation as if like a writer was just kind of espousing their or at least it doesn't read to me like necessarily it's like oh this writer is you know, taking a chance to like get out their own weird feelings about Wakanda, mm-hmm. as opposed to like it, he's it doesn't writing this feel character like, a, like this because necessarily he's seen this like person. a soapbox. You know, yeah. like like Ross feels like a believable character. Sure, I think. Yeah. Um, okay, well, somebody I mean, with these bad different opinions and being things. like you know hiding everything behind jokes and yeah. um and saying things like you know these these kind of casually racist comments about like oh we're going to the, the city in New York like oh it's the ghetto like that sort of stuff. I mean, maybe that stuff is him, shield, you know, like making fun of Ross a little bit. But then I think also, he's making like, fun of Ross a lot in this. I don't think it's quite as much of a lampooning as like as some people frame it to be, right? Because there's all, anyway, I, it doesn't matter. I, I don't. I'm not really trying to like put priest on, you know, like judge priest here. This is just talking about the comic, but like it's a little like um, I could just watch Philadelphia for the first time, the Denzel Washington Tom Hanks movie. And the parallel to this book is actually really, really interesting. Um, in that movie, Tom Hanks is a, a man dying of AIDS. Denzel Washington is his um, lawyer and uh, and is, like, helping him file a lawsuit against his company that fired him because he has AIDS and because he's a gay man. And the movie is, like, a lot of it is framed through Denzel Washington's point of view, who is, like, a violent homophobe, right? And, it's, and it kind of feels like, you know, we need... Uh, a relatable character who's like, yeah, he's just as grossed out by like gay people and AIDS as you are, but he still sees this man's, you know, right to work and live like everybody else, even though he thinks the whole thing is a little gross and bothersome. And it, it's that kind of like smuggling of, of something through a more acceptable lens for a mainstream audience. Mm. Um, and that was written by a gay man, right? So like, it, I, I don't think it's necessarily just a shield <laughs> to say like, I mean, people have to do what they do to get their work published and, you know, however he wanted to get write this comic. Um, I, I think Ross, Ross isn't nasty enough, actually, <laughs> is one of my, my complaints. I think I would like it if Ross was like slightly worse. What I was thinking of was um, Electra, Electra Assassin with the... Um, What's that main guy's name who we follow through all that, right? Yeah, like the, uh, yeah I can't point of view of character. Now. Well, that guy's terrible, <laughs> right? John something, um, right? The the shield agent. Ah, oh, what is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's a John John Garrett. Yeah. Um, 
that guy's awful and for some reason that makes it like a little better because then i don't think i don't like actually feel miller's ever like smuggling anything through or trying to get me to laugh with garrett Mm. right like garrett's so terrible that i'm like when he says something really misogynistic like i don't think he's going for the laugh line i think priest is definitely going for the laugh here sometimes well that's that's one thing that i didn't remember i like i kind of knew it but i didn't remember it as much until i reread it which is like black panther is a comedy um yeah i mean it's it's very seinfeldian in a lot of ways um it's it's very goofy very very goofy to the point that you have scenes of ross sitting with mephisto the literal (laughs) okay so (laughs) it's not played for horror at all it's played it's funny it's really I think that stuff is very funny, and that's what surprised me coming back to this. Is like, it, 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 it sounds like I'm really down on this comic. I'm not. Like, <laughs> that's I, because I you criticized wish... <laughs> for 15 minutes. I know. I, I, we should have started with the positives, because I, I actually quite like this comic, and I've come around on it. I think it's really funny sometimes. Like, that Mephisto stuff where he <laughs> Mephisto gives him his pants, I think is a really good gag. Yeah. And then he sits there and he sweats. And he's just like, what did I do? I took, you know, the devil's pants. And he decides to take them off. And underneath is just another pair of jeans. Yep. And it's just continually peeling off jeans to find more jeans underneath. That's really good. It's, like, it's so cartoonish, too. It's very absurd yeah. comedy, you know? Yeah. And you know what? Like, for every joke that doesn't land, there's one that made me chuckle. Like, there's a there's a fair amount of jokes here that made me laugh. Yeah, I think um, I, a lot of, you know, when you're talking about the, the conservatism of it, which I, I definitely don't see, but I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't see it. Um with priest i you know he's he's having fun like he's writing a yeah, goofy book totally. um yeah. if some of that hits wrong like yeah i'm interested in hearing about that but it's also like he's writing a comedy and he's he's playing very loose with this book he's also i mean the stuff that's good here is you know we haven't talked about like his t'challa is cool as hell like this black yep. panther is so cool again it establishes like this is stuff that i hadn't seen you know with this character like the idea of like yeah what is it like when T'Challa comes to America and um, and brings, you know, who does he bring from Wakanda? What are their roles? What are what are their things? I mean, you know, and I think, too, like the way you know this book is not intended to be taken too seriously. And again, maybe that's the thing you can criticize. But it's like there's like a civil war going on in Wakanda. There's a lot of civil wars going on around Wakanda. They have a refugee camp of all these individuals who are like also kind of hate Wakanda because of, you know, global political lines and all that stuff the main villain there is like a literal caricature and just like absolute satire he does, he does look like a character you'd get down by like the pier right i mean the ears the ears fill <laughs> the really whole funny. head yeah. you know like yeah. it is a oh, literal yeah. caricature it is not meant to be taken seriously um well you know i i don't i don't criticize it for that i actually kind of like the um like that tone like not every joke lands but it is no. uh enough enough does that i'm actually kind of on board with this like vacillating tone and i think i think his ability to like switch back and forth between really cool black panther stuff and then the, like the really silly ross stuff um works works quite well i like the um the pacing of this comic i like the pacing and i like the way that he splits it up across like this disjointed narrative that ross is telling from the future and he's jumping all around and the way it's like eking out information and not just that the way that it's building wakanda in the world around him right I think it's really intriguing. I think that's like one of the best things this comic does is it takes something that could otherwise be not that interesting and makes it intriguing just through the way that he is imparting like little bits of information to you. Um, like you hear about Achebe much before we see him. So he becomes like a really interesting character. And then the slow build to meeting him is fascinating. Mephisto is here for a long time before we find out what he wants. Yeah. And he's like used as the joke first. And then you find you're like, 
yeah, but Mephisto's sitting in the apartment <laughs> with Ross. Like, what's going on here? I, I think all that's really successful and pretty unique for what we've seen. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of other comics that do it this well. It's an, it's that, an extremely um, challenging balance of tones. I mean, well, it, you remember that, uh, you know what it reminds me of, or what maybe was influenced by this, is that J.J. Abrams, is it J.J. Abrams? No, it's um, Damon Lindelof wrote that Ultimate Hulk versus X-Men. Oh, comic. yeah, yeah. That does the like the time jumping, like jumps all around and is better for it. Like the way that he doles out information by jumping right. through time makes it more intriguing. And it's kind of a half comedy, half action book. Interesting. Um, Interesting comparison. Yeah, anyway. yeah no, I, I think the style of it is is really actually pretty wonderful. I mean, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. It makes yeah, you yeah. pay attention in a way that you wouldn't have to. And again, it's that thing of like one thing Marvel Knights is pretty good at when it succeeds. And I think Inhumans and Black Panther are the best examples of this is it gets your attention, and it makes you hone in on, like, okay, what's actually happening here? Um, and Black Panther's definitely, just because of the panel layouts, I mean, on a single page, you might have cuts between three points in time and three different scenes or something, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, entirely. And, you, like, you, if you're not reading carefully, you're not going to get what's going on. It's going to be real confusing. It can be confusing if you are reading carefully sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, again, I don't hold it up. Just this first arc, definitely to the standards that I, I think in humans nails and comes out and, and fully formed. But I think Black Panther, like you're saying, it's building Wakanda in meaningful ways. It's making the Black Panther, it's making T'Challa, it's making the Dora Milaje, like these really cool characters that we'll definitely want to keep following. I think there are a lot of unquestionably valid critiques that you can have about the entire relationship between the Black Panther Black Panther and the Dora Milaje. Those things have been interrogated to some degree within the Marvel comics. <laughs> like like Tony Nisi yeah. Coates takes that on a bit because like, it's a it's a complicated 16? thing. Sixteen? I don't get it. <laughs> like the fact that they're these underage concomitants, I think is how he writes it, which basically means yeah, like they they're are, like wives in training and he makes yeah. out with one of them at some point in a you know, a fugue stage. Not and like in a fugue it's just, day, yeah. Yeah, he's like in this dream thing. But then it creates a problem because it's like maybe he'll have to marry her. All that stuff is like, that's a lot. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That stuff is is uncomfortable. Um, but while simultaneously being like, and they're the coolest bodyguard characters that you've never heard of before. And I just, and awesome, like, I, you know? I can't, I can't help. Like, I, Ross, Ross ended up being not as much of a stumbling block for me this time as I, I thought he would be. Like, I enjoyed this comic more than I thought I would. And I, and I, I just want to make sure it doesn't sound like I oversold how much, like... That you stuff did. really bugs me. Like, <laughs> you definitely yeah, okay. did. I guarantee it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I don't. Like, I, I think, like, he makes comments once in a while that make me roll my eyes. But, like, this didn't... I didn't hate this, and I was not, like, actively angry at this book. Like, I was really enjoying this book. And he makes me I'm laugh. Surprised. Like, like, I'm even... surprised by the fire behind you. The bonfire. <laughs> and just, I, I'm, I'm surprised you were able to get that many copies of Black Panther 1 through 5. <laughs> That's what impresses me. He he really like Ross does make me laugh sometimes. I like the um when he ends up like uh some criminal he goes to a bar where there's like bikini mud wrestling and a criminal throws him in the pit and he starts getting beaten up by a bunch of women in bikinis, which is like not that funny to me. But then that uh and then Zuli comes rushing in. But Zuri, Zuri Zuri leaps in yeah, Zuri leaps in and just like tackles all these women to help Ross. That really got me. And like there's uh, a cutaway of that where Ross Ross is just straight up throwing a, a punch at <laughs> this woman in a bikini, like as the scene cuts out. It's it's so goofy. Like I did yeah. I did not remember how over the top absurd some of the comedy is in this. And yeah, I think yeah. to the point of does it hit or not, honestly is kind of besides the point because it's so stylistic and just like not what you'd expect from a Black Panther book. No Black yeah. Panther book has launched and been like 
hey, we're going to try to make you laugh. <laughs> like, that has not yeah. been an approach anyone has yeah. taken. I appreciate it for that reason. I, I will I, also I do, say I like oh, the Ross of the comics way more than I like the Ross of the MCU, who's just no, he's a a very yeah. vanilla CIA guy. He's not the voice on the ground. Like this Ross. Why does he exist? He, listen, yeah. if you want to have like a like a negative reaction to this character. Honestly, I think in some ways that's a good thing because it gives you a character to do that with, as opposed to just like straight down well, the middle. He is the point of view laced, character, you know. That, which is, but I'm which saying, is like, if the point of view character yeah. was this straight laced CIA person who is, you know, not getting anything wrong and not goofy and not telling the story weirdly, it would be a much less satisfying comic, I think. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree because I think about it in that like terms of like like I'm a little frustrated that we get so much Ross and so little T'Challa. Right? And we get a fair amount of T'Challa, but we get like it's probably sixty forty <laughs> Ross to T'Challa. Oh, I, I think even, <laughs> I think it's even more skewed. Even I mean, it feels 70, like 80, 30, 20, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, that that might be true. Like that that ratio is frustrating, but at the same time, I do appreciate like I appreciate the tone and I appreciate the the like the framing of you know this like disjointed narrative thing. So I don't know how we'd pull that off without Ross being such an active thing. So I it's not like I have a ne- necessarily a solution. You know, it reminds um, me a lot of. One of the problems DC has had with Wonder Woman, um, at least or like New 52 era in particular, they did this, the Brian Azzarello, Cliff Chang run is mm-hmm. like, all right, we, yeah. we need to try to make Wonder Woman interesting for the New 52 audience. How should we do that? And the answer kind of becomes like, well, we should probably have less Wonder Woman. <laughs> like We should probably have more of other things. And in that case, they're like Greek gods and mythology. Like we're really going to lean into that and those characters. It kind of feels like Priest is doing that a little bit where he's yeah. like, I'm not, this is not going to be inside the head of T'Challa. Like, Black Panther is just going to get to be very cool and on the fringes in a lot of ways. Um, but he's not actually, like, the main character of the first five issues is Everett Ross. Like, I, I don't think there's any question about that. And it gives you a different POV into the world of Wakanda, which mm-hmm. does actually help establish it in ways that we haven't seen it established before. Um, it, it, that's like, it's a thing that can be criticized, but it's also a thing that sometimes reading it, like you see why the book worked the way it did and has the legacy that it does because it allowed you to build something new in the process that you can't necessarily do if you're hanging out inside T'Challa's head. I mean, I think as the run progresses from my memory, it becomes more about the Black Panther himself. That's that's what I was hoping. I was hoping that that like ratio of how much we spend with Ross versus uh, I mean, he doesn't go away. I know Ross stays around. Like I... And I do here. remember. I, I, are we going to read more of this? Do you know? I, I think oh, we'll have next, to. I think we'll have to pull up some. Next year we're doing six through thirteen. Yeah, next so. year we're. Well, I don't know if we'll do that much, but we're definitely going to. Or I guess I made the list. So yeah, no, sure. it's already. It's um, on the final list, bub. I want to continue with it. I want to. I want to yeah, keep checking in because I don't remember a lot after like the comics first year, and I know I read it, okay. but it's been a while, so I'm. I'm curious. I do remember at one point, and this really stuck with me, that Ross punches his girlfriend. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I I can't remember if she slaps him first and then he punches her or vice versa if he punches her and then she punches him back, something like that. They hit each other and it turns into a domestic violence uh, back and forth Jeez. between the two of them that then ends with them both like rubbing their jaw and him being like, you want a sandwich? And her going like, yep. And then they like reconcile over the fact that they just had to punch each other to get over it. And uh, even when I read that like eight years ago, yeah, I was just like, yeesh. This is, it's very, like, equal opportunity. Like, women and men are equal, which means we, they can both punch each other. And it's, <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of, like, lame uh, line of thinking. But 
Yeah, I don't know if that's in the next batch we'll read or not. I do not remember. Maybe yeah. Charlotte and I will be talking about that next time. Poor um, Charlotte. Yeah, that stuck out <laughs> to me, and I can't Charlotte. remember. I I haven't been able to find it. I've like gone looking for it, tried to like find that panel, but I haven't. Oh, uh, can, <laughs> one thing I want to bring up: How bothered were you by the fact that Black Panther number three has Black Panther fighting the Fantastic Four on the cover? <laughs> yeah, and then in the comic itself, it is a cutaway like dream sequence like a, on one half a page yeah it's like a fever dream just... i did when Ugh. i when i got to it i did think oh that was super lame um i don't like that bait and switch at all i did also well, go into it thinking like oh, okay cool, like this will be the yeah. you know this will be the fantastic four connect while he's in the city like that like that version of an issue makes total sense but it's not the comic yeah. at all i i have grown increasingly to hate bait and switch cover stuff um because I wasn't I mean, buying this oh, one in a shop, it didn't drive me insane. But yeah, it's, it's lame. It's funny because it's, it's like, deceptive. The, I guess so. But then the other side of that is like, have you ever picked up a comic book and been like, well, I'm buying this because the cover is so sick and it promises a fight that I want. You know? Oh my <laughs> like, gosh, Zach, have you ever? Zach, oh my gosh, people buy comics because of the covers all the time. This is super. Yeah, common I guess that's so sense. like. And yes, I have so done different that. I picked up a I, comic from it was yeah. Avengers World. It had Thanos on the cover. So yeah. I'm like, I love Thanos. I would, oh, I you've told this story, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I picked it up. He's not even in the book, or he's in it for like a panel yeah. as like a flashback thing. Yes, I've told the story a million yeah. times. No, that's true. It's I guess, a total that, fake guess out. That's, how, that's how kids buy comics too. Oh, I love the Fantastic Four. Dude, covers and are then, big business. I mean, yeah, I guess that that's so. I, I just that's so like that's so different from how that's like uh, walking into a movie theater and deciding what you're going to watch that day based on like looking at all the posters. No, like, I know, but it well, it's it's not though. Like it's a, I mean, that's how you market your comic a lot. Of time. Like I, no, I, I picked up a book yeah. last week called Samurai Doggy <laughs> from Aftershock because the cover looked really cool. And then yeah, I, I opened it up. So. I'm like, this art's like, awesome. With indie comics and stuff. Well, with indie comics, then you're like, oh, this looks interesting. What versus is this? like yeah. Marvel in DC where you're just like, well, this is promising a great fight that I want to see, right? Like a character that I love in this book, sign me up. Because I guess I just If you put either. Thanos on your cover, I will buy the comic. <laughs> and I will be severely <laughs> yeah. disappointed if he's not yeah. in the comic. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's so. Oh, hey, uh, Bill Maher was in, um, in Humans. I, <laughs> yeah, I want to mention a, that too. There's a Bill Maher sequence in Inhumans. Yeah, they did Reed, not roast him as hard as he could have, but Reed Richards held his own. Reed Richards did all Yeah, right. Reed Richards like roasts him a little bit, yeah. which, yeah, he definitely deserves it way more. Like, I, it is funny. They put him in here, and they did capture that he is kind of just a smarmy jerk. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it was like it, one of my least favorite it, people. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's <laughs> miserable. Just yeah. a miserable person. Even back in the 90s. I remember miserable. when I was in college... I think it's I think it's him. There's a movie called Religious, and yep. it's like his oh smarmy... yeah, oh so smug, dude. Ugh. I hated it so much, and I remember we watched it, and I then we had to like write about it for a class, and I just <laughs> I just went off, and like I just I hated it so much, and I could tell that my professor like loved him, you know, was like like loved his <laughs> oh, own. It was dude, it was brutal, but oh man, I hated that movie. It was just so mean. It was so cruel, so mean spirited. Yeah, well, he's I mean, he's just the worst. He he's very incredibly smug i mean that that attitude about everything i can i can anyway, take smugness, but that is that is not a version that i enjoy um speaking of versions i enjoy next week 1999 part one or i guess it's not gonna be next week but our next episode it's gonna be the continuation of all these books we're yeah. gonna finish yeah, yeah. inhumans we're gonna finish daredevil guardian devil and then we're gonna keep reading a bunch of black panther um you and charlotte are doing this up i'm not gonna be around for this one you'll have to tell me if six to thirteen is too much i kind of was just like hey let's do the whole the whole thing and then maybe yeah. after you do that much of it maybe then we'll we'll start sort of 
scattering out well, the amount of black panther. Well, it ends, right? right? Like it ends and then it gets picked up as another volume. No, no, no. It's it goes from no. 98 to 2003. It goes for oh, 62 okay. issues, I think. Okay. No, no. Maybe split among a couple different Yeah, volumes, so like we'll read all 62 issues probably like next episode, you know. So. Okay. I'll pick, I'll pick a weekend <laughs> I'm not going to be know, around. <laughs> you and Charlotte can do it. This this batch of comics felt uh sizable to me. Like yeah, it, it wasn't too much. I, I threw in some bonus Punisher. Needed more. No, 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 no. I mean the um, fifteen comics that we just read for this. Like we read fifteen issues, which is slightly more than we do generally. We're kind of averaging around like ten to twelve. Yeah. So it's a little bit more, but also like that uh, part of like feeling like I actually want to read these comics made it took forever to read these comics. More meat on the uh, bones. Yeah, compared to, you know, when it's a bunch of X stuff where I'm just like, yeah, there's a lot of words, but I'm not reading all of them. Ugh, X stuff. X stuff, yeah. I'm glad I... Part 3, 1999, is going to be two X-Men crossovers, neither of which is (laughs) well regarded. That's that's a lot. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 issues. Yeah, that's not too crazy. You know what I'm most excited about, actually, 1999? We're going to read all of Earth X. Have you ever read Earth X? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah. No, I don't know what it... Yeah. It's Alex Ross, I guess. Alex Ross art. Um, oh, I should remember the writer's name. It's a really interesting series. Jim Kruger. Do. Jim Kruger. Thank you. Yep. Thank, thank you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Interesting. That does it. Oh, hey, and uh, Dean's list. Start. I've already started When's preparing that? for two thousand four. Two thousand four. No, it's, it's always on the fours for no discernible okay. reason. Just all for the arbitrary. Because I I started in nineteen eighty four. I had stuff for nineteen ninety four. And uh, the other day I found a comic and I was like, when did this come out? And I saw it was 2004 and I was like, that's it. I'm starting. Back (laughs) on, baby. Dean's list is back on. All right. Yeah. Well, everybody can look forward to that when it comes out in the year 2026. (laughs) Oh, no. We'll get there soon. Should be good. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, you can find all the issues we're reading coming up in the show notes. uh, Go on over to patreon.com slash memorable year if you want to support us. Uh, Music for the show is by Disaster Piece. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald or comicbookherald.com. He's Zach. You can't find him anywhere. He's too private, too isolated, but you can't find him in the Slack community. Again, you can get that over at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Charlotte is running these socials for at mymarvelousyear1999. Coming up next. We'll see you next year. See you next year. Uh-huh.